Well, Danny and I had to come on. I know I said we wouldn't be on until Monday, but The Last Dance is over. I watched it with my wife. She really enjoyed it. I can proudly state that I went 9 for 10 on the trivia. Actually, it might have been it might have been 4 for 5. I can't remember. I only got one of them wrong. The, the little, like, sponsored by Facebook trivia questions. But it's over now. It feels kind of sad, actually. I was, I was enjoying just having something that everyone was paying attention to that we could all comment on. I think I, I really missed that aspect of sports. And I have to admit the montage at the end I thought was really well done. That kind of got me a little bit with my uh, thinking about my lost youth and just like how awesome it is being in a stadium with all those people and feeling that energy and not being able to feel that now. I definitely was uh, in my feelings a little bit about that, but uh, nobody cares about me. They care about the last dance. So uh, do you have anything that you wanted to, to sum up that you've taken away as someone? I know if you're listening to us talk about this for the first time, I grew up in Chicago during the 90s Danny didn't really become a huge uh, basketball nerd until the mid 2000s so he didn't live those times more than just as a casual fan so I want to hear ultimately like what your take is on it well I I think that the the biggest thing for me uh, goes back to a I I I attribute this to Ethan Sherwood-Strauss but going back to uh, talking about Kobe Bryant which was that Ethan noted and I I noticed this through throughout my early career as well that Kobe was very aware of how his words were being used and and was was and I don't mean this in a negative way was very engaged in in myth making and and storytelling and making sure that the that all of those things fit together and what was so interesting to me about this was from various things one of the notable ones in the the recent episodes was the the attempt to redefine the flu game as the you know as the food poisoning game or the pizza game yeah. or whatever there, there'd been like a little reporting on that sure over the years sure but like uh, there were I a think few th- for the 20th anniversary of it like someone asked about it yeah I, I, there were a few things like that where you realized how much there was a void that was filled in that time that a lot of players lebron kobe before his before his retirement and passing that that they're more players are more cognizant of that now and they do a more active job filling that i don't know if it's pr departments as well how all of that fits together also players have generally i would guess have more people involved in their you know brand and conscious of this stuff that's something that's part of social media too so there was a lot of redefinition that I thought was fascinating. And also, one of the other big takeaways for me, I've heard that the last episodes of this were edited after the show, after they started airing. And I have a feeling that's part of why the Jerry Krause positive stuff caught in there was because they realized that it, it kind of rang poorly in the early episodes that he wasn't not only not there to defend himself, but the way that was done. And then to go in a little bit of a different direction before the Jordan Reinsdorf thing at the very end. Oh, we'll get to that. Don't worry. Um, yeah, I mean, the Krause thing definitely. And, and this is one thing we definitely have to talk about. Um, Casey Johnson Yes. I recommend you read all these things. Has been posting excerpts with the Cross family permission. Cross died in 2017. And with the Cross family permission, they've posted excerpts of it kind of. Of a documentary, of an autobiography he was writing. I'm not sure you mentioned that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Um, And so. He basically explained why, from a basketball standpoint, they broke things up. Um, I think we can talk about that. But to me, I thought that Reinsdorf ultimately gave it away when he said it would have been suicidal to bring all these guys back. That, to me, was he just didn't want to pay everyone. Is also, now, Dennis Rodman was kind of done. I don't know how effective he could have been, but he played the next two years and was just a huge problem. He like couldn't conform even enough to like be on the team in L.A. and Dallas the next two years. And Steve Kerr basically was never really a major rotation player. Again, he won a championship the next year in San Antonio, but he didn't really figure, and he wasn't in the rotation. Pippen signed, I think he signed like a seven-year max deal in a sign in trade which uh no I might, yeah, it, was, it was last night i was thinking it was it would have been six years um or was it five five years because yeah it, it expired in 2003 and then he had a swan song with the bulls when he basically wasn't healthy and and that was it for him but um so that was probably in terms of his and he he was on yeah and it was, it was, yeah. it was 67 million over five years okay yeah thanks so which was i think probably the max salary at that point yeah, they actually did. And that, remember, that was before inspired by LeBron. They changed the sign and trade rules so that players couldn't make more via sign and trade. Back right. then, you could. And so the Bulls structuring it that way allowed Pippen to make more money. 
Not that it was some sort of humanitarian thing for them, and they, they benefited from it, but it is what yeah. happened. Well, and so Luke Longley is going to be a free agent too, and Cross points this out in his thing that Luke, they're really concerned about his ankles. Cross describes a meeting where just like everyone really had, they're like, hey, Scotty's going to need a second surgery in two years. You know, he's going into his mid-30s. MJ is still going, um, but he's he's going to come back. Uh, but, you know, we don't really have any else around him. Dennis, Dennis Robin, I don't know if we want to bring him back for that amount of, amount of money. They definitely had it within their control, though, to bring all those guys back they had full bird rights on them they could have brought them all back but i think reinsdorf was already he knew the price on mj was going to be over 30 million dollars again because he'd been in 97 he made 30 million and then 98 he made 33 million so they knew the price on him was going to be big even after the lockout all the old salaries were grandfathered in and so i am pretty sure that jerry reinsdorf even with the bulls being terrible those next five years made more money than he would have if he had brought back jordan and pippen because they were just they had the tv deal they had sellouts forever and ever and just because of the bulls brand and they had pretty cheap payrolls they were trying to get salary cap space and rebuild in uh, the summer of 2000 and so well, I can tell. I yeah. want to tell a short story on that. Uh, so back when I was a ticket broker, you know, years and years ago, this was in 2011. Somebody told me that the Bulls were still the, had the highest season ticket holder base of any of any team in the NBA, like in terms of proportion of the arena. It might have even been proportion combined with price. And you think about how what they had gone through during that time. And it's not like I mean, yeah. and basically that the idea was that that had been persistent. The Bulls happened to be very good in 2011, as as you all remember. But it was that idea that they basically set themselves up as as a team that people wanted to see even when they were terrible so that leads to something different than like what donald sterling did which was you know have a cheap team but also people weren't going but they still made more money because of revenue sharing and all that the bulls were in a distinctly different part but i i think that where you're getting at with can versus will is also interesting because of the way michael jordan pivoted which i also think was incorrect which was his idea that oh everybody would have come back on one-year contracts if you asked them i think a lot of people would have well, but well so so, I mean, that's, I think a lot of it to me is just Pip. They didn't want to give Pip a five-year, $67 million. Right, and he, I don't think he was coming back for one year. I mean, when you consider... Well, yeah, I think he, it would have been foolish of him. I mean, he'd made yeah. $18 million and he could get $67 million. It'd be incredibly dumb to come back. I mean, no, if they were like, okay, one year, $25 million, okay. But the, I don't think that would have been the deal. Right. And so it would have been... So I think the, the answer is, I think, closer to Jordan's side. It was a choice by Reinsdorf not to do it. It wasn't... And, and and Krauss gets into this whole idea of like, oh, it would be it would be bad idea for the team. There have been plenty of franchises that have put good money after bad to try... And, and remember, that Bulls team would have been competitive for a championship. Maybe they would have lost. The, the Spurs ended up winning that yeah, year. Yeah, we could in, talk about that. In 99. Yeah. And Ken Pelton did a good piece on that, which... And, and there are numerous other, other parts of this. But... It is something distinctly different. And when you, what, what to me, and you and I talked about this after episodes one and two of The Last Dance, that this was all telegraphed. It wasn't something that they, you know, oh, they got into the moment and, you know, Jordan gets injured and, and the lockout and everything. And they went, no, no, they, Krauss and, and Reinsdorf knew this going into that year, the whole crazy thing that they said Phil Jackson will not be back as the coach. Even if Reinsdorf, after the season, went and offered him a year. They, they like to to basically say it's over at as early as they did that tells you what they wanted and that's what they were going to do yeah I, I think that's uh, that's pretty obvious to me and you know sam smith will tell you that phil felt like it, he was uh, ready to move on there's also the issue of jordan slicing up his hand yes when he's on vacation in the bahamas that happened like two weeks before the lockout ends remember everybody and, and, and it would also be interesting to see danny of like if there weren't a lockout how might that have changed things if it was if you're making these decisions 15 days after you just won the championship as a opposed to nine months after you just won the championship or or i guess seven months well, after and, you just and, won the and also remembering that the chronology of this is very difficult like they would have to have very clear understanding from like jordan and all these other like to, to do it because if they re-sign some of the other players early and then jordan doesn't come back then you're completely screwed or with pippen and all that like teams have done it like moving pieces are are is absolutely possible but it's very important to have all those ducks in a row because the value of rodman and kerr and and Phil Jackson even is very different as if everyone's together or if you lose important pieces. So 
And if Jordan is like, knows that he's going to play and he's getting ready for the season, maybe he's not in the Bahamas. He doesn't slice open his hand, but, he, but indications were that he would have missed like two months at the start of the season if they had brought him back at that time and kp did a projection of what it would have looked like for that team i mean the east was not amazing that year like miami was the number one seed they end up getting beat in the first round by the knicks the knicks make the finals without patrick ewing but they also had a crazy upset win over the pacers who had been their biggest competition the year before so the bulls would have been certainly right in the mix i think just with jordan and whoever they could have cobbled together at that point i mean they probably could have brought back her longley was a free agent they made the right decision clearly to not re-sign him because he just never did anything in first in phoenix and then in new york and Krause correctly pointed that out that his ankles were bad um and Rodman, you know, maybe he would have just been totally ineffective. Kukoc still would have been there. So they still could have had Jordan, Pippen, and Kukoc. I mean, that's probably enough to compete in the East. I do have a feeling that the, that Spurs team was really, really good. I think they could have had problems with that Spurs team. And remember, the Jazz actually lost to Portland in the Western semifinals before they even get to San Antonio. But that San Antonio team was nasty. Like, they had a way better point differential than anybody else in the league. Yeah, I think I think year. KP had the stat that that Spurs team, in terms of point differential, was the, would have been the second strongest opponent that the Bulls had faced dur- during the Jordan era or during the during the finals during the finals run yeah and so I mean, I mean the Bulls did not wouldn't have had really a great matchup for they Duncan wouldn't have Robinson. had home court probably yeah so that's a it, it would have uh it, it would have been interesting but I mean it would have been I think they it's not like the Bulls did anything that year like it'd be one thing if because the thing that people were so cognizant of at that time was the Celtics Danny Ainge still talks about this now of they just basically rode Bird and McHale and Parrish into the ground Reggie Lewis passed away we talked about that last week and the and they were just bad for 10 years after that and so the bulls didn't they were like the cautionary tale we don't want to be these guys um and but it's not like pippen was going to be a free agent anyway they couldn't get anything for him in a trade jordan was everybody relevant was a free agent so it's not like you had this path of hey you could have traded so like pippen they had talked about maybe trading him around the time of the 97 draft but they're like no we're gonna need to go win a championship again this year we can't do that so well and that we're going to like rebuilds when you basically have a bare cupboard take a long time i mean that's something that you and i've been getting at in some of these battle plans that we've been doing like when we talked about the Knicks and a few other teams is that when when you're building and they you know they lost all those players they had Kukoc still but they they they, it wasn't like they had these developmental players that were that were going to lead the future so they needed to get draft picks and then have those guys mature and it ended up being that that didn't even work particularly well yeah and who knows who they could have gotten they would have needed to refresh at center and power four that's what uh, Krause talked a lot about that in that piece which I encourage all of you to read but Krause of course loyal man to the end doesn't ever mention the idea of money and that's what I go back to for Reinsdorf to say no it would have been suicidal to do that like suicidal how for his for his pocketbook that's the only way and so yeah oh they they would have been worse than they were no obviously they wouldn't have been worse than they were and and they it wasn't like they had other players that were going to be more expensive you know like there sometimes there are teams where you get ratcheted up into the stratosphere because your young players are on their rookie scale contracts and then they get paid and your other guys are still on the books the bulls didn't have guys like that from what i understand and i'm pretty sure i'm right so they didn't have this escalation it was just that they didn't want to continue going yeah, and Cross in his piece, a, a few things that I, I thought were incorrect. Like one was he said, oh, the cap rules would have prevented us from re-signing guys like Kerr and Longley. Like, no, that's not true. Like you had full bird rights on him. You could have re-signed him. Um, I mean, the, it, it's it's so funny, right? There's always, it's as old as time immemorial, the snow job on, oh, you know, we can't afford it. We couldn't do it. Those sorts of things. Like, no, you could do it. It just would have cost, mo- cost you money. <laughs> you know? Yeah, and, um, and, and it, I think that part of it was, this, I mean, Krauss was definitely interested in, you had the ownership and general manager pulling in the same general direction for different reasons. I would say Reinsdorf, I'm guessing it was more financial and Krauss, the excitement of building a team. I mean, you and I, whenever we like do the fake, thing when we get asked on patreon or whatever of oh what job would we be most interested in we're not interested in a job where the team is already done you know it's you want to build a new team and you want to you want to try to figure out how to how to do it from there and i'm sure that was a part of it for him as well and there was this perfect storm where everyone 
was kind of coming up at the same time. And so I'm sure that for different reasons, they were each excited about the possibility that was coming. But that is doing doing that when you just won a third consecutive championship, have the greatest player of all time, and even if you don't fully run it back, have a reasonable shot of winning another championship. That That's the other part of it. You talked about like, oh, well, what are you giving it up for? The other part is, what are you giving up? Like, this isn't giving up the ghost and maybe your team was going to make the first round or maybe even they can get to the conference finals if they're lucky and then you get there. Like, that is not the team that, that I mean, they maybe they wouldn't have won the championship, but they were in the mix. The other thing that Cross says that I don't find particularly credible, and Reinsdorf talked about it too, is the city. Oh, well, Phil didn't want to coach a rebuilding team. It's like you had Michael Jordan, you're not a rebuilding team. Right. Like, Phil didn't Jackson wanna... didn't want to coach after Michael Jordan was gone. And so, like, Cross is just saying, like, oh, Phil had already said that he made the decision to leave eight months before the meeting. I still, I, I don't really, I mean, Sam Swiss kind of supports that a little bit too, but it really strikes me as like, okay, Jordan and Pippen are coming back. Like, I mean, it's it seemed uh, very unlucky. Now, yeah, I mean, I, I agree that, that Phil Jackson didn't want to coach a rebuilding team, but you had the choice of whether it was going to be a rebuilding team or not. So that it's yeah. it's th- it's putting the causation yeah. the wrong it's way. A, it's a tautology. Yeah. It, it's And also, though, I will say this, like, I mean, maybe MJ just, because he, you notice, and they didn't show Phil's speech at that 1998, but he says, he said basically, you know, everyone's yelling for him to come back, and he's like, this was our last dance. And, you know, he's like very clear about that. And... MJ was like, oh, you know, I don't know what's going to happen. You know, I could be back, blah, blah, blah. So I think he, but whether he was just too much of a team guy to say this, I mean, he should, to me, he should have been like, hey, you know what? Like, you owe it to me. I want to come back. The reason I'm not coming back is is because Jerry Reinsdorf doesn't want to pay everyone and he's being cheap. And, you know, I mean, he really should have just gone on the offensive to me. Yeah, there are enemies that, that Jordan conspicuously didn't make during his career. But Reinsdorf, I mean, yeah, he Reinsdorf did pay him during the baseball years, but he could have. I mean, Jordan had the cachet, had the gravitas to do that. He wouldn't have been the villain here. No. So I, I, I ultimately, I think I would put it more on Reinsdorf than Cross. And, and Cross, I mean, if he's thinking about the long-term future of the franchise, you know, I could see not wanting to give out those contracts. Like those, all the contracts they were talking about would have been bad contracts eventually. Um. So I have a top four things that I wish the, that I thought were omitted from the documentary and should have been in. There. Okay. Let's go in chronological order here. 1992, Game 6 against the Blazers completely not mentioned that the Bulls start the fourth quarter down 15 at home in game six Michael Jordan is on the bench and they basically make nearly the entire comeback from 15 down Bobby Hansen hit a three Stacy King probably had like his only good five minutes in a Bulls uniform um Scott Williams was uh, was awesome Pippen was out there and they have this whole comeback until you know maybe they're down like two or four or something by the time MJ gets back in and then he helps them close it out but to not even mention that I mean that's like that's like one of the greatest comebacks in a game in NBA Finals history and to do it without Jordan I mean that's just like there are a few things because it was you know Jordan was the central figure and and he obviously had I'm sure veto power over anything that was going to be in it and, and he was the one who had to say yes for this footage to get used I mean, I'm not saying that he, I mean, he was like, don't put that in there, but it's just like, you got to put that in. Like, even if you just say, you know, two lines where someone talks about it or whatever, I mean, that's like, you could have like, one of the players, like that one of the players happened. that was a part of it. Yeah. Or even have Phil do it because, you know, the yeah. connection with, with bench players and support players is, is always a part of a coaching job. Um, And then in the same vein, Jordan, you know, the whole Atlantic City thing, 93, during the Knicks series. And it was like, okay, he's going to stop talking to the media. Oh, he's pissed off now. And then the Bulls win four straight. Shot three for 18 in game three. The Bulls win it by 20 because they play unbelievable defense. And Pippen has like one of his best games as a Bull. And all the role players really came through. And Jordan, he got to the foul line a lot but he shot three for 18 in this game when they're down 2-0 never even gets mentioned and then they go and then that that next game they plays the 54 point game is one of the all-time great playoff games if you go back and watch the highlights of that game i mean he's hitting just impossible shots over great defense every single time that nicks we've talked about before is one of the greatest defense of all time um so i thought that was really like a glaring omission same type of thing uh, again um next one that i couldn't believe wasn't in there was the hugh hollands Call. Oh, oh yeah you talked about this on twitter yeah I, I posted a video of it and i asked people who were new to the play to see whether it was a foul and basically you know at that time you didn't have the protection for shooters as far as like the landing zone and 
also the i mean there's still as far as i know the rule is still the same as far as like the high five contact and the ball is clearly out of hubert davis's hands i mean it's very grainy footage obviously but but you can see that between the grains yeah yeah like the ball is clearly out of his hand before pippen makes any kind of contact with his hand and pippen doesn't come anywhere close to like hitting his leg or anything he's coming across an angle and davis misses the shot bulls are up one with under five seconds left they're gonna win game five and that call for Hubert Davis hit hit two clutch free throws, but that was a call where people went insane. And there wasn't, re- we never really got an amazing replay of it. There's one from the baseline view where you can't see it uh, on the telecast. Hubie Braun saying like, oh, he sees why the call was made. But yeah, you know, I, 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 I will say I hadn't seen it before and it didn't yeah. look like a foul to me. Yeah. But I, I wish, I, I wish there were a better angle, but from the ones I saw, it didn't look like it. Well, and so this is a, this is a 94, obviously when, when Jordan is gone. And so they, they win that series almost certainly the bulls win the game six at home if, if they win that they ended up losing game seven um i don't think they win the championship that year although they're really the their only great team in the nba that year was the sonics and they lose after going up 2-0 they blow the lead they lose to the nuggets and houston goes on houston was the only other team in the league that it was really i think in the high 50s and wins but you know i think that houston series probably would have favored houston they would have had by far the best player akeem was the best player in the league i would say when jordan was gone during those years so and the bulls had wennington luke longley and will purdue at center which would they might have struggled to deal with them a little bit but i mean it's possible they could have won that series i'm not saying they would have won in the championship but it would have been a lot a bigger deal if they get to the conference finals i think they they could have matched up pretty well with the pacers in that conference finals so um so i i was shocked that that wasn't mentioned at all and instead they decided to focus on the 1.8 seconds and if anything i thought they were too kind to scotty i mean as i think about that because i mean i remember i watched that game and when i didn't notice because i was you know a 13 year old that scotty pippen wasn't in the game i saw kukoc hit the shot but number one it absolutely was the right call to go to kukoc yeah it was a quick really shot yeah he had he it was 6 11 he had made shots like that before scotty was not great at getting a jump shot off off the dribble like he didn't have the quickest most versatile release he couldn't really create separation he didn't have like a, a great 18 footer he usually would only take that if he was wide open and kukoc made a great shot he was the guy that they should have gone to that didn't mean he was the best player on the team he wasn't but in that specific situation when you needed to get a shot off it should have gone to him and obviously it was the right move because he fucking made the shot um and also worth noting that pete myers who replaced pippen makes an unbelievable inbounds pass to the free throw line to tony kukoc who's being kind of like half fronted by anthony mason who was an awesome defender and the pass was just amazing took him right into the shot uh, over his right shoulder and so i mean pippen was a great passer also but i the pass that was thrown was perfect. So I don't know if Scottie Pippen would have actually thrown as good of a pass as Pete Myers did. W- would you have end. had Pippen not as the inbounder in that situation, more of a decoy? I, it seems to me like that was part of what made him aggrieved was that they couldn't even think that he was a part of it. Maybe, maybe so. But here's the thing. Has anything in NBA history like that ever happened other than that incident? Not that I know of. Not even close. I've never heard of anything even close. Wouldn't go in the game? Now, I mean, one... Especially in that kind of a circumstance. It's not just like some throwaway regular season game or something else like that. This is the playoffs. Well, now, the one analog to that is 2015 Game 4 Bulls-Cavs. David Blatt draws up the play with LeBron as the inbounder, and LeBron is like, nah, fuck it, we're running this. And then he and then he hits a huge shot uh, over Jimmy Butler that, like, saved that series for the Cavs. They were, were about to go down 3-1 in that series. And I think the game was actually tied at that point, I want to say. But that's the only other equivalent I can think of. But, I mean, even just saying, like, no, Phil, like, you need to fucking run this for me. Like, even that is better than just sitting out. I mean, that's, like, so incredibly passive-aggressive you just um, when you and and they they did a they did a good job talking about the teammates but it is kind of amazing to me that that they were able to cross that bridge eventually i mean you, you mean to to like get back and yeah. actually like finish the series well out? and and have pippen be as important a player as he was in the like and be as popular it seems like as he is as he is among the other players that were on that team like jordan yeah. wasn't on that team but uh yeah i mean i guess they just it was so out of character for him but so so that's the second point i wanted to get to though is like why did he do it and the biggest thing that if you grew up playing basketball in the 90s and then you saw the way that the 
conversation changed because of Michael Jordan, the way that basketball changed. Kobe Bryant, his legacy, um, you know, as kind of the the next guy trying to take up Jordan's mantle. Before Michael Jordan, there wasn't this feeling of okay, the last shot has to go to the best player in an isolation every time. They didn't. That wasn't how it used to be played. Now, part of it was because just an isolation didn't work as well. And I think part of it too was just there wasn't even this idea of like okay, we're gonna run the time down and get the last shot at the end you know i think like that strategy evolved but this idea of like okay we're just going to give the ball to this guy and he's going to dribble out top and shoot a jumper as time expires and that's what you run at the end of every play you give the ball to your best player and it's a huge affront to not do that like that didn't really happen especially part of it i think too is that the best players were centers and so you couldn't really do that with them um and then when jordan and even you know magic like most teams would have just run a play in that situation and and, you know they might run a play to get a guy open off the ball or whatever but there wasn't this like who's going to take the last shot who's going to take the last shot and i think with jordan's heroics in the late 80s especially i think it really came in after he hit the shot against cleveland and it's like oh man he's just so clutch he makes all these crazy shots like and so then it was like all right it's it's the best players right to do this and this is what you do at the end of game and so pippen had seen them do that for jordan for so long there's this idea that like that's what you do for your best player and that this idea that him like viewing it as this personal affront that like oh he's earned the right to take that shot it's like no you're trying to actually win the game it's not about like like you could be a, a great player and not be you know we're gonna throw it into you with one second left on the clock and you're gonna shoot like an impossible fadeaway that's not your game so it was it was insane that he did that and it's just there's there's no it's i've never heard of anything like that i don't know of like any level of basketball frankly um, when you think and- about if that happened now the firestorm that would occur and and justifiably so i mean it, it's there are a lot of things in this that i've i've had the you know the more modern perspective on of what if this happened now i mean you could even in this one i mean there was previously the dennis rodman vegas thing in this one there was the rodman going skipping a practice to be in wcw but pippen not being on the court refusing to come in the game is one of that and like the phil jackson saying he's not going to be back after this year like those are the types of things that just don't happen anymore and didn't a lot of times didn't happen before yeah you know i I, i'm of two minds about this whole oh what if this happened today it would be an even bigger firestorm thing i i do think that there's in some ways now because of the media environment and because everyone just has so much better an idea of what everyone else is doing that there's just more of an understanding of just how fucking batshit crazy that was and the same thing with like the way that kraus was hired in 1985 hey uh you want me to be the gm for the bulls that's how to scout for the white Sox. uh you know that that and like if that were the process back then people would have been like what you know what the hell there would have been all this reporting on who the, the profession the and, professionalization of yeah. organizations i mean that's something yeah. that's something that comes up in the and i'm not not to denigrate what they did but like red auerbach running a so much more competent organization than everyone else and how that fueled the Celtics' success for a long time yeah and i mean there are plenty of nba teams could still use some more professionalization <laughs> that's for damn sure um oh oh i forgot to mention this too uh on the Hugh Hollins thing, I had this in my notes. I should have mentioned it. Uh, Daryl Garrettson was refing that game, and he was a partner of Hugh Hollins. And he says is at, he actually retired from being a referee after that and became like the supervisor official. And he actually said in the media at the start of the next season that the quote was uh, his quote was all I can say is it was a terrible call. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate the the honesty there, but man, I mean, that's like it was definitely a bad call. Um, and the point was made to me: while well, the Bulls like benefited from so many calls, and I was like, what? Like, what call did they benefit from that was that iffy? I mean, maybe the Jordan no call on Russell. I'm more along the lines of Russell never could have stopped his momentum anyway. Yeah, it's uh, on I, that play. My my stance is that you need to create the the general standard in those circumstances should be you created an advantage that would not have been created otherwise and i think the advantage would have been created so it's it's best to be a no call and he was going that direction anyway i i so that game six was one of the few games pre-2003 that i did i do remember watching live and i remember the play that the play that got me on that because i didn't know basketball very well at the time was the steal jordan on malone and being like oh wait that was a a great read and a great decision and that is what gave them kind of the opportunity to make that all happen was to to have enough time 
and I mean, Phil going no timeout, but getting a steal as opposed to the Jazz even getting a shot up when they had the lead. So the end screen, I also thought was extremely misleading. It says Phil Jackson was replaced. Okay, I could buy that. They had this weird thing where they're like, Tim Floyd is the coach in waiting, but Phil Jackson could still be the coach if he wants to. And then of course he didn't want to. Michael Jordan went back into retirement. Okay, that's true. Scottie Pippen was traded. Like, no, that's totally misleading. Like, he was technically traded, but he was signed and traded. Yeah, you would say like he left as a free agent would be the way that yeah. I would phrase that. Yeah, and they they actually helped him out so he could get more money in the sign and trade. Right. They didn't get anyone back. They just got some bullshit second round pick and like Roy Rogers or something in that trade. Um, it also said Dennis Rodman was released, also inaccurate. He just like his contract a expired. Contract. And then Steve Kerr was traded again. He was signed and traded to San Antonio. So uh, that was pretty misleading i mean maybe the guy who went on there just like looked at basketball reference and saw that or whatever but uh that seemed incorrect um can i give you some interesting nuggets from the box score of game six of the 98 finals absolutely so i had in my head that the pace was 72 possessions um by basketball references calculations it was actually 76 whoa now hey big spender <laughs> but that uh so so that's probably about about right and so the offensive ratings are actually 114 and 113 in that game uh jazz had 37 percent offensive rebounds scotty pippen plays 26 minutes on his totally messed up back plus 16 four seven from the field eight points only other bull in double figures besides jordan was kukoc with 15 points in 42 minutes scott burrell 0 for 1 negative 17 in 10 minutes <laughs> I would presume those are mostly minutes that Jordan didn't play, though Jordan played most of the minutes in that game. Uh, yeah, I mean, Jordan played 43 minutes. but um, And then Jordan, 44 minutes, 3 of 7 from 3, 15 of 35 from the field, 12 of 15 from the line, 45 points, 1 assist, and 4 steals. <laughs> and Carl uh, Malone actually had a wonderful game in that game, 31 points. 11 rebounds and he did it on only 24 true shot attempts but and he had seven assists he was awesome in that game but he had the five turnovers including that huge one at the end stockton pretty tough game only played 33 minutes he generally didn't play that many minutes even at that point um like it, the rotation was usually he would go out and i think he was in foul trouble a little bit too he had four fouls but he would go out with six minutes to go in the first and third quarters and howard isley would come in for the rest of the time so yeah it was uh Stockton generally like his playoff numbers are pretty ugly uh, compared to regular season like he was not a great playoff performer he only, only had five assists in the game too so it was a pr pretty awesome game though uh, I, I, I have something big picture I wanted to ask you yeah, yeah. um as a fan because you were you were you know you're at the age and the right mindset to be there how do you how did you feel then and now about the unusual circumstances of jordan missing so many years of what was prime or prime adjacent for personal choice i'm not criticizing him for doing it but that is distinctly unusual this isn't barry sanders retiring or anything like that like he took time off and came back like do you feel like you know especially considering some people use the best career argument as opposed to who was the best in individual player do you feel like it that's um they, they, that you missed that or is it just kind of part of the story how do you feel about it now and how'd you feel that well now i you know a point was made to me i said on like a podcast talking about jordan versus lebron that lebron takes a lot of regular seasons off and i was like and jordan didn't do that but he literally did take a a season and a half off um in the middle of his prime to kind of recharge so that that does need to be considered i mean i didn't i wasn't like mad at him for retiring i was sad i totally understood with like his dad I, the whole like gambling thing that didn't really reach my consciousness at that point uh I mean, I still was a big Bulls fan. The next year, I watched a bunch of games. I watched all the playoff games. and But it was so awesome when he was coming back. But it was really, I mean, I, th I think maybe just because I was a fan. Uh, Strauss talks about this, like the uh, creeping determinism of like, oh, it seemed like they were always preordained to win. And like when they lost to the Magic in 95, after he comes back, I'm like, number one, Jordan like doesn't look like the best player anymore. Like he got outplayed by Penny Hardaway. It looked like the Magic were just like going to be on top. Of, like they were going to, because that had been the way that it was too right remember like first it was the celtics and then detroit it was detroit's turn and then it was the bulls turn after that and then it was like oh well it's orlando's turn now and orlando was younger the bulls were old they had this huge hole at power forward so i was like is this it like i mean i guess mj's gonna come back like is he gonna be the same guy as 32 uh you know i didn't have quite as good of an understanding of like the 
way basketball players age at that point but it clearly was like all right he's not in his prime anymore so i i definitely was like man there's like no one knew that they're gonna win 72 games the next year and they didn't get rodman until like right before the season they had nothing again at power forward that you're like they weren't able to get anyone in the offseason grant leaving was a huge blow grant killed them in that series um but i yeah i mean now did, did i answer your question i kind of i think so i think so i, I yeah it's it, it's so it's weird for me because but it, i mean it was fucking awesome when he came back yeah I mean, it, but i was just like oh my god is he still like is he still gonna be michael jordan like they're really that was not contrived in the film like that was real i really i and then he goes seven for 28 in his first game and and you're i was much more prone to the narratives at that point i was like because like when johnny kerr the, they showed the the film of him making that shot against atlanta right before the 55 point game and johnny kerr's like oh he is now back because he made like this one game winning shot at the end and so i was like oh yeah he made this one game game winning shot now he's back because you just so much of the narrative at that point was wrapped up and like okay it's your mental fortitude this guy always comes through this guy never comes through you know that i didn't have like as much of an understanding of just the vagaries and the randomness of it all Mm -hmm. as i do now so I was like, oh, he's back. Then he had the 55-point game. Then he has 48 in the first round against Charlotte. So I thought he was like pretty close to back, but then they lost uh, against Orlando. Anything else that stuck out uh, to you at all or, or like things that you didn't know that you were like were surprised by? I hadn't I hadn't known before this. This came up when we talked about one and two. How kind of explicit a lot of the, the it being over was, you know, like that the players knew and like doing the Phil ja- the thing that they talked about at the end of it of Phil Jackson basically treating it and then put the they all wrote things and and spoke and then threw it in a, threw it in a coffee can and lit it on fire like the the formality like there was there there was a analogies naturally that will be made to the eighteen nineteen Warrior season. I don't think there was anything public or private as formal as any of that kind of stuff. Part of that was because a lot of the players were under contract and it was really just KD leaving and we couldn't have seen what happened in the 1920 season coming. But it for a team that wins the championship as the as such a dominant force to just be like, "Oh yeah, it's going to be over after this" is that that still boggles my mind. Well, I will say when I, uh, after we recorded after game six last year, I, I was thinking of this uh, with the Warriors. To me, they're the closest thing to these Bulls with all the star power that they had and the drama and, and all that. Uh, you know, it was a shorter time period, of course, but for it to end with like KD tearing his Achilles one game and Clay Thompson tearing his ACL the next game and like Strauss and Slater at like that night at like 4 a.m. after we had all done all, all of our work after that game uh game six last year they came over and we were all just like hanging out and like reminiscing because we knew like it was all going to be over uh and everything was going to be totally different didn't realize how different at that time but uh, at least in a basketball sense and so i and i was struck that and by at least like the that team had that moment that they talked about with where like jordan wrote the poem and like they phil jackson got them all in a room and they did that ritual which i thought that was like a, a really cool touching thing and you know that that Warriors team didn't have that level of togetherness and KD had one foot out the door and stuff but I I do did feel kind of sad that that team never had that moment especially because like KD wasn't even there yeah when they lost like he's like had just like gotten a surgery in in New York like they never like he leaves and goes to New York from when from when he gets hurt in Toronto he never sets foot in the Bay Area again I don't know if he has to this point probably has at this point but like I mean you would imagine he came back at some point to like you know clean out his apartment and shit but like i don't know maybe he had someone do that for him uh, but yeah i mean that was to just like never even have a moment together to say like hey guys it's been real at the end yeah like that catharsis denouement what, whatever you want to call it in the specific context it's yeah i i think that that is something special about this team that they did know it and it was i'm sure useful for those players to tell tell kerr and this is a part of krauss's thing tell kerr and longley and all that just get the most money you can like we're not bringing it back but they could have i mean they could have could they could have done it differently obviously a a big picture thing for me is i'm extremely happy this exists and i am thankful that it that espn changed the timeline and that it came out during this period where not only to give structure but to give us something to look forward to in a shared experience when shared experiences that are positive or few and far between it's more shared separate experiences right now I'm extremely thankful for that. I and I and it added new footage, it added new things not only to my experience but I think to everybody else's. And it will be challenging. It's just going to be an interesting part of this legacy to see what 
parts of this are seen as canon moving forward and what parts of it are just this is one person's interpretation it's true based on your point of view as mike prada said in his uh, mail ba- on, in his uh, newsletter thing after the after the early part of this and so overall huge positive but that element of because it was run through somebody who had their own perspective and had a had a reason to want certain things in and certain things out and that that was functionally mandatory from this narrative experience that it is fundamentally different and so i i i think that some will try to say that's a good thing or a bad thing anything like that i don't think there's a need to make a definitive pronouncement it just is what it is and i will appreciate it for that you know i thought it was good you mentioned the changes but i mean scotty pippen his interview didn't happen after things started getting released and like there's a little bit of backlash over like right. Ross getting shit on so like him say yeah like he was like the greatest gm also there like people note that like uh scotty hasn't necessarily said that jordan is the best he's like said maybe it's lebron he scotty did say i was playing with the best player we had the best coach we had the best gm so maybe that just meant the best player at the time as opposed to the best player ever but um yeah i mean when you said like oh what are the things that'll be canon like what sticks out to you in when you're talking about that well i don't know if it, if people will see this as definitively that it's the food poisoning game not the flu game or something yeah. else yeah, food poisoning is too many syllables. Yeah, the pizza, pizza, pizza game, pizza gate. I mean, it's, it could be stomach flu. I don't know. Yeah, that's so. Like, what do you? If it was in fact that like they did something to that pizza, what do you think they did? Like, if you're working in that pizza pizza joint and you know that Michael Jordan is about to get this pizza, like, what do you do to be like, oh yeah, this is gonna that you have sure, that you like, have on hand. Help. Yeah, it's like, are you just like, <laughs> like I can't even get it. Like, they just have some like expired cheese or something that they melted out there. I mean, like, did they like spit on it? I mean, like, even that like wouldn't be enough to just give you a flu like that quick. I mean, there had to have been something that just had like a shitload of bacteria on it already, like salmonella. Like, they, maybe they just took some like raw chicken and just like rubbed it all over the pizza. I don't know, like, like how would you even go about doing that? This is the next documentary we need. <laughs> <laughs> and c- we can't get the name of the pizza place come on somebody knows Some- it. someone should look that up someone should look up like what pizza place it would have had to have been at like I- i'm guessing there weren't a lot of places to get late night food in salt lake city in 1997 <laughs> <laughs> um i think like one of the things that i was struck by remembering and again it was obvious at the time though was just like how messed up scotty pippen's back clearly was oh i mean you could see it when he moved down the floor like he like there's one sequence where he like he didn't even it wasn't even on the floor he like bends down to pick up a ball at like two inches and you could tell he's just like grimacing <laughs> like um, my wife is a yoga teacher and so she's always concentrating on like people's moves. and she's like yeah when like your lower body is moving but when you're running your upper body just can't can't move at all like you know someone's back is like really bad um and it does like jordan i i don't recall i mean there have been some times where you'll see it like there was a game where like nate robinson threw up on the bench for example in like the 2013 playoffs but I don't recall seeing anyone look as wan on the court as Jordan did during the flu game. I mean, it was just so obvious just looking at his face, like how exhausted he was. And it's just that sort of thing. It's like, oh, was he sicker than some other guy in some other performance or whatever? But I mean, we'll put it this way. I don't think he was faking it. No. Um, That seemed pretty clear. Yeah. And I I think there there were parts of this that, you know, I would have appreciated. It was weird to me that not that I'm criticizing the curve. I thought I thought I loved having the Kerr focus as a part of the story and them setting up the shot in, in 97. But it did seem like a lot of the support players that it was more in the context of Jordan. You know, like Kukoc, when he was talked about, it was more like the dream team. And this is Kukoc's relation to Jordan, as opposed to Kukoc being a damn good player in his own right. Rodman, Pippen, and Phil were probably the only people to get something and and Kerr, I guess, outside of that context. But, you know, I, I think that if, if you were telling the story of the Jordan Bulls, I thought that there could have there could have been more on that sort of thing. And as you brought up, like the, you know, the Hugh Hollins call and other things that that if it didn't really heavily involve Jordan, it wasn't as much a part of this. It wasn't the Jordan Bulls. It was Jordan and his team. I had forgotten, uh, well, no, I'd forgotten about the Rodman missing practice to do the wrestling thing <laughs> as well. I mean, that's another during one. During the finals. Completely insane. Now, like, a lot of practices during the finals are kind of bullshit. Um, but Phil, I would be like, yeah, he's out here. We don't know where he is. <laughs> like, 
Um, and then I was surprised they didn't mention the Arizona State thing with Kerr. Either yeah. After, but I think that that probably would have just required too much exposition for what was a, kind of an ancillary story in the documentary. But for those who don't know, like uh, Kerr played for Arizona, and like at when they're playing at Arizona State, like the fans were basically like making fun of him for having his dad, dad even gotten shot in Beirut. I think I can't remember they're chanting like Beirut and PLO. Oh God, yeah, it's not even accurate. <laughs> if you're gonna be insulting, at least be accurate. Um, yeah, so I mean that that's pretty crazy. Uh, but I think like I, I guess I understand why that was left out because what the the way they would have had to do it from a storytelling standpoint was just to like tell that story and like that's your only data point of Steve Kerr between his dad dying and michael jordan so it's uh, is that and so like you you can't tell that without then saying like what's the aftermath he becomes this all-american in arizona like it would have required probably like another five minutes if they were gonna bring that part up yeah and it's uh, something else that I really enjoyed about the documentary, and I wonder, uh, Michael Lee brought this up in terms of David Aldridge, which I firmly support. Of the so many people involved in this, whether it's media members or players, they're at, they're really good storytellers, and they did a great job editing this too, of of cutting it down to things that were interesting and like. I would just, you know, th- that's kind of what my vision of open court always could have been, is just guys telling stories about what they remember, and and you could splice in footage and all that, but there's just, there's this wealth of information. The NBA, this is something that, that came up when we talked about, when we, were, when we were talking about Kobe, is the NBA is so fortunate that a large portion of their great players are not only still with us, but are also talented storytellers and are aware of this and are still connected with the game, that... I would love to just see parts of this machinery go in other directions and media members talk about the most memorable games they covered or players, you know, like under the radar moments and then you could animate it or whatever or you splice in footage, whatever. Like there's so much wealth of of material here that I would love to see, whether it's, you know, giving context to people who weren't alive for that, who didn't watch in that generation, like that's part of the motivation of The Last Dance or something else, just like to have it so that years from now we, we, we just have that to fall back on i think it'd be great you think there'll ever be a team that is like that big of a deal again or or has anyone come close since then in your mind the warriors were something entirely different because they never had the same kind of arc you know like the bulls they they had the struggles with the pistons and then and the jordan the, and then they they also were so different between the three peats the warriors did a lot of that stuff in a very short period of time but there was a time when the lights burned incredibly bright on them and but you can correct me if I'm wrong. Like the warrior, like the Bulls were as great as they were. It didn't seem like the they were reviled in the same way that a lot of teams were. And I think some of that is because they're you know they drafted their best players and some of that type of stuff. So yeah, I think it would take a lot to get to to get there. I think that the Warriors during the 24 game winning streak to start 15 16. Yeah, so the pre KD Warriors. That, that's that's a fair comp. Yeah, I think they got close. Like if like, I don't think. Steph would have ever been Michael Jordan but if he had had if he had done what he did in 2016 and they had won in 2016 and KD doesn't come if he does that for like two or three or four more years like maybe and they're winning championships during that period like maybe it would have gotten close for him personally but in terms of the media eye like that team for sure during the 24 game winning streak the 73 winning going 73 and 9 breaking and they had plenty of drama record. too well and they and that was also a totally homegrown team again I do think there's a big like Strauss talks about this too and you're in you as well that this the idea of everyone being homegrown and coming up together and just letting people talk themselves out of this being like a mercenary type of feel the way it yeah. did when KD got there yeah, or, it, or the LeBron heat which was also a huge deal but people didn't like didn't have that love for them the way they did for the Bulls yeah it's I think that a lot of it is popular perception but popular perception matters and when we're comparing teams to the Bulls popular perception is a part of the story and then was done in the last dance well yeah. as uh, in addition yeah and also just the fact that by 98 that everyone knew it was probably going to be over too yeah and that this was going to be the swan song I mean that that's oh, what that's one more thing it. I want to ask you yeah how do you think some of these story so let's say the Bulls bring the band back together they make the NBA finals and they lose to the Spurs and then it all breaks apart however that happens do you think that the 6-0 and is significantly more impressive than the 6-1 and to the average person I know you and I can sometimes see things differently than the average person but like how do you how do you kind of square that circle 
yeah i think it is more impressive to be 6-0 because just the the like i talked about with the creeping determinism the same thing of just this aura of invincibility yeah right i mean even the two years that mj missed and you know of course 1995 doesn't count because you know he had different muscles or whatever from baseball i mean you know i'm sure there's part of that he wasn't in shape yeah and, and they're different they're that, different shapes too yeah and, and that team also i mean their bigger flaw wasn't that jordan played poorly it's that they got completely destroyed on the interior in that whole series yeah they didn't so have no a power, power forward on the team um so no i think actually they i mean it might make their story more interesting it also would have depended how that went down right if they lose in seven in just an absolute dogfight to the spurs as opposed to just getting swept or like five yeah it, where the spurs are just clearly better and they ran out of gas and that was it as opposed to man this is you know one of history's legendary last stands type of thing I also think that people would have, let's say the Spurs win that series. I think the Spurs would have a lot more respect too. I mean, not that they're short of it, but I mean, if they, oh yeah, like to to actually vanquish to vanquish the Bulls to be the only team to do it in close to full strength fashion would be that would and that would have been an early like an early feather in the cap you think about the legacy of Popovich if that had been the start as opposed to the way it way it actually began yeah I wonder if Phil Jackson would have said that the season had an asterisk then <laughs> all right I think we can we can wrap it up here that was a good question though I think I think yeah it's definitely the fact that it's six and oh and that's like when I mean all you have to do is compare it to LeBron where he's making the finals every year but losing I mean the fact that that's I mean the biggest thing that to the casual fan that Jordan has over LeBron is that he was six and in the finals even if LeBron made more finals the fact that he lost a bunch of them even though the Bulls never played a team like the Warriors team that he lost three of three of those finals to or actually as good as the Spurs team that he lost to in 2014 either or 2007 even I would say um I don't know. Maybe I'm giving too much short shrift to like the Sonics and Jazz team at the end. But um, the fact those teams won 64 games was in part because the week was pretty leak weak at that time too. Um, anyway, all right, I'm rambling. Let's wrap this up. Uh, anything to talk about before we go? Have a new piece at The Athletic about the Knicks Q&A that's coming out on Monday. Uh, should have a new Real GM Radio on Monday afternoon, evening. So you can look forward to that. And a lot more coming out in the near term, but it's still working on it. So I'll tell you about it when it happens. I had a fun show with Hollinger today. We debated all of our disagreements on NBA awards. That was really, that was fun to do because, I mean, he is, uh, he knows a lot more about basketball than, uh, or he's forgotten more about basketball than I know. So it was, it was, uh, it was fun sparring with him uh, about some of that stuff for sure in a respectful way. I I assume he's still going to do the podcast with me next week. (laughs) We'll see. Um, And of course, the COVID daily news is rolling on. I hope you guys will give that at least a shot. just give me the first 15 minutes of it even if you don't we've been together a while here and if you haven't tried it yet please at least give it that that kind of a shot and see if you think it's useful for you i i hope that it will be if you're really just suffering from news fatigue it can actually it should help you as opposed to just hopefully not making you feel like oh man i got one more thing i gotta listen to it can hopefully replace some of the other ways you're getting your coronavirus news all right we will talk to you all next time till then